This episode's a little bit different today because we are doing a Q&A, baby. Let's go. We don't have a guest this week, and uh, we realized that we need to chat to all of you a little bit more. So we got some weird questions. Cough, cough. Rachel, cough, cough. Asking us about objects that we use <laughs> by our lonesome. And then we got a lot of really cool questions about gear. Um, we got questions about making the ski space more inclusive, how to be allies, a lot of really rad stuff. Who are your role models? Bitch, I'm my own role model. I'm just kidding. That's really douchey. Um, Renee's my role model. Aw. Aw. That's cute. That's cute. <laughs> That's friendship, yo. So yeah, we're basically going to do Russian roulette style. I pick a question. Renee picks a question. We uh, take off on that topic and see how many we can get through in the span of this episode, but should be rather entertaining. Improvised answers. This is like Jeopardy, baby. Let's go. Deal or no deal. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Hello, door. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh, who's starting? Oh, man. I don't know. You've got the womb cork? I think we got, like, over 30 questions easily. Yeah, definitely. Shit. Okay, it you know definitely. who I want to address first? Tyler P underscore 802. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I only have money for one. Do I buy my partner bike slash ski gear or jewelry? Buddy. Renee, how many times has he messaged us about this? We don't know if Tyler is a troll or if he's serious. But buddy. A lot. Like everything. He's always replying, being like, do I get my partner ski gear, bike gear, or jewelry? Tyler, we don't know your girlfriend. You're supposed to know your girlfriend. This ain't our problem, buddy. Like, you should be able to figure out what she would want. Me, personally, I am recently more interested and comfortable with expressing my femininity, and I really like a lot of jewelry. But would I cream all over new bike gear or ski gear as, like, a present? Fuck yeah. Way harder than jewelry. But, I don't know. Read the occasion. What does your girl need? Does she need new gear? Or is she her own sugar mama? Okay. Yeah, that's it. And also it. just stop asking us. We, You asked, we answered. Can you stop now, please? <laughs> I don't know how many times it's been, but I didn't actually take it seriously from Renee. I kind of like brushed it off. I was like, yeah, whatever, until I saw it myself. And I was like, damn, damn, buddy. Put persistence on your resume because you are getting after it. <laughs> He really wanted to know. And the answer is, Tyler, we don't know your girlfriend. You're supposed to know your girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, now that we've addressed that, have a great day, Tyler. We love you. We're just giving you the shit because it's what we do. It's the, you know, double trouble show. Okie dokie. Um, Renee, shall I ask the first question? Okay. <laughs> okay. Danasaur underscore 406, I feel like I'm a YouTuber right now, asks, mental health, re-physical injuries keeping you off the snow. Ugh. Ugh. Ouch. <laughs> like, having, like, some trauma come up. Oh, baby. Um, We've both been there. Hot dog, haven't we? We've both been there. Yeah, what I mean, your... I've, I've had it very recently, actually, because... I had the, the most fluke injury a couple months ago where I woke up in the morning and I pinched a nerve in my shoulder and I could not move. I almost passed out on my kitchen floor and my friend Rachel was sleeping on my couch. She drove me to an 8.30 a.m. appointment to try and get it worked out a little bit. And I pulled an abdominal muscle from moving around so funky because my shoulder was spasming. And I spent a whole month off the bike. And then now I'm just like in this weird hole where getting back on my bicycle is hard because I've spent a whole month just being lazy and like in my own head. But yeah, I guess like my response to that in regards to this recent bicycle time off of it is I'm going biking today, my friends, so I'm excited. 
but just let yourself be where you're at. It's not just about biking, just not just about skiing. Like it sucks and you can't like put your whole identity around it. You have to let yourself feel however you feel and like work through that however you need to feel it. Frankly, yeah. I've been in therapy with a therapist in tears asking them why I can't ski. And sometimes you just need therapy. I don't know. Therapy's hot. <laughs> therapy is hot. When I'm like, I mean, if I'm like dating a guy and we're talking about mental health stuff and he tells me he's been to therapy, I'm like, oh, I'm a little turned on right now. But then as you continue to date him and realize that he should probably still be in therapy, like therapy isn't really like a one and done kind of session. It's like continuously working on rewiring your brain and your behaviors and your patterns. But therapy has also helped me a lot with injuries and um, like my history of injuries. I've had shit. It's four, four serious concussions. I think there's the bike double ejecting to my face going about 70 kilometers an hour. That was a good one. And then I ate shit on my skateboard going to school and I took all the skin off my right boob at the same time. That was also super fun. Uh, and then this recent one, actually in May, I was doing a switch 180 off like a small jump at sunshine at 4 p.m. on a spring goddamn day. Same jump I'd hit five times that day. And the jump just dissolved underneath me this last lap. And I landed on my ass. I didn't even hit my head. And I got like a very serious concussion. Um, so I think concussions have probably been the hardest one for me because like I've had neck problems from them and like back problems from them, uh, especially when I really like wring my head hard with whiplash. But I think the mental game with concussions is a lot gnarlier because there's not like a broken leg or rib or any physical pain that's preventing you from getting back out there. It's literally sensory overload or it feels like you're allergic to the world. Like, I don't know. And dealing with that is really hard because a lot of people don't know what it's like to be concussed. So they tend to be quite critical of it. And unless you understand what those feelings are, I think it would be very hard to empathize with. But um, like my concussions got so bad at one point where I questioned whether or not what I was experiencing was real. Like I was like, I should be tougher than this. Like I should be able to walk down the hall at school without getting dizzy. Um, one concussion, I injured the occipital lobe in my brain. So I was having like double vision in one of my eyes, eye tracking issues. They wouldn't automatically focus. And that was a really long recovery period. Um, but with the mental health stuff, it's like, I think the biggest thing that I struggled with is that skiing is the one thing that I do that makes me feel like myself and comfortable being myself just because you can make sound effects on the ski hill. You can be a weirdo and you're just kind of accepted. And that flow state is something that I identify a lot with. And I know Renee's the same. So having that piece of your identity taken away from you is really hard. And it's, it's also a coping mechanism, but I had to learn how to find other coping mechanisms because that's not all that I am. So like, you know, I really got into plants for a little bit that helped a lot with mental health. Um, I love drawing. I love playing guitar and singing and I had to learn how to cope in other ways. And like figuring out how to sustain myself in other ways meant that I didn't see skiing as an end all and it made it easier to get on the snow. But then I still had to process the fear of skiing high speeds on piste because that's where I landed on my face that one time and learning how to jump off of stuff again confidently and safely. And there was a lot of risk mitigation that I had to learn about following those concussions because now I'm more susceptible. But there's no one answer to mental health. I think everybody has their own journey. And I think that thinking about it personally and also looking into therapy uh, would be awesome. Like you don't need to have a diagnosis to go to therapy. All that therapy does is help you understand your brain, how to cope and how to interact with people in a better way. And I think everybody could use it because we internalize a lot of things as people in this systemic society. So go to therapy. Therapy's hot girl shit and hot boy shit. Therapy's just hot. Yeah. Yeah. I, you said that better than I did. But yeah. yeah, I would say like FOMO, FOMO and mental health, like don't go together very well. <laughs> and that's something that you just kind of have to sit with and work through and find other things that 
that do light you on fire and that do really motivate you. And if you need a rest day, take the damn rest day. It's 100%. okay to watch Netflix for an entire day. It's, you probably need it. And you want to know like one of Renee and I's favorite things to say to each other if either of us are freaking out because like I get a lot of performance anxiety and imposter syndrome, especially as I've moved into getting like filming gigs or like professional gigs, being talent for different companies for their commercial shoots and stuff like that. Um, like if I'm freaking out, I'll call Renee and she's like, it's just fucking skiing. It's just skiing. It's literally a hobby that we've created this performance culture around that you have worth if you can do something. And that is such fucking bullshit. You're literally, somebody decided they saw frozen water and they're like, yo, I think I want to slide down that. And then they chopped down a tree, accidentally figured out how to make plastic, AKA PTEX out of petroleum products, slapped that down so they could go faster. And here we are today. And we've developed this whole side culture out of something that is fundamentally odd, but we love it, but it's just skiing. And your mental health is more important than skiing. And you are more than skiing. We all are. So, yeah. Renee, next question. Let's go. Next question. <laughs> okay. Devin underscore Henderson. Um, in regards to skiing with the girls, but do you two ripping gals ever have fun skiing with the boys? Buddy, uh, duh course we do. I like, I, I've talked about this in previous episodes, but I grew up only skiing with the boys. I like, I, well, we're kind of taught in society, especially within ski culture, I guess, and specific like other outdoor sports, adrenaline sports, there's usually only room for one girl. It's like a very competitive space and you have to be able to keep up with the boys and perform like the boys to like have respect. But my whole life I was skiing with the boys. Like I was on a free ride team in, uh, Pano for a little bit, Panorama Mountain Resort. And it was just me and all the dudes in high school. I like wanted to be one of the boys. Like I fucking love hanging out with the guys. I have some guy friends where like, if I make a sound effect, they'll make it and we'll just go back and forth super gnarly. And I'll follow them off of new lines that like, I felt kind of unconfident with. And I love skiing with my dudes, but the way that I progress and learn skiing with the girls is totally different. And there's not as much pressure. And sometimes taking that pressure off means a lot, especially if it's in a space where you feel maybe that your skills aren't quite there yet. Like maybe learning in the park, it's a lot less confrontational to learn with the girls. Same thing with backcountry. I have little legs. They can go downhill real quick. Like I'm a stunt nugget from the waist below, but they do not go uphill very fast. And that is somewhere where I feel like I do not have the skill sets um, when I'm going with the boys, just because they get into this bro zone mentality of like, got to crush, got to change over super fast, got to do this. And the girls are just like having conversations, enjoying time with each other. And like, we do have gnarlier mission days, but it's just a different feeling. So it just depends. Like, am I feeling balls to the walls? Let's go. And I've had like five energy drinks and I want to follow the boys off some dumb stuff. Hells yeah. Or am I feeling like a little bit more relaxed and chargy and I just want to hang out with the girls? Yeah, it's not, you know, I think it's just important to recognize those female spaces and like respect them and support them. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. But it's never she versus he or any any other, uh, you know, gender expression. It's just it's more about community and supporting people. Yeah, I think it's interesting for me when I reflect back to like, my own free ride career I guess you could say the first comp I ever did was because the guys I was skiing with convinced me that I should do it and the way that I wanted to ski they were the ones that were taking me like to delirium dive for the first time touring for the first time like, they're the ones that gave me those first experiences but when it comes to free ride comps the people that kept me in it were the girls so once I got started, it was the girls that gave me the motivation to really keep going and to keep pushing myself. But the ones that got me started were the boys. So 100%. like there's a, there's a place for everything, right? Like I love skiing with the boys. I still do. Like whether it's bikes or, or skis, like there's different vibes on different days. And I'm not going to not go skiing with one of my friends that's a guy because they're a guy. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I also think that like, like when I was growing up, um, 
I was bullied a lot, especially by other girls. I was a tomboy. I went through an emo phase. I shaved my head for cancer when I was in grade six. And I was actually misgendered for about a year. And it was really hard for me. Um, and girls were really mean to me. And so I ended up kind of gravitating towards an all boy group. And it took me until moving to New Zealand, actually, for my first ski season, when I met all of these girls that were so welcoming to include me in their ski community. And they took me into the backcountry for the first time, like, and experiencing that and what it's like to be part of a female community where they support each other. And it's not about judging each other or bringing each other down, like, kind of that internalized misogyny thing was groundbreaking for me. And that's when I started to feel more comfortable with my femininity and, you know, approaching those aspects of myself. And it's super amazing what women can accomplish when they break down that internalized misogyny and they support each other. So that's what I found in those spaces and especially through womb tang. And I know the same experience has been like that for a lot of girls who have found other women to ski with through our platform. So, um, yeah, breaking down those barriers and what we're taught about other women is super important. And that's kind of part of the movement as well, is empowering each other. Yeah. Okay. I know it's your turn to ask a question, but I think because you just said that, my sister texted me a question uh -huh. to, to my sister, Jessica, who listens to this podcast because she said, it's how I know what's going on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> she texted me this question, have you experienced inclusivity from men more than women in certain instances in skiing slash biking slash everyday life? Shit. Yes, 100%. That internalized misogyny thing is a big one. Um, I think that's why I gravitated to hanging out with boys for a really long time. Uh, I'm freaking weird. I talk in sound effects. I can't walk in a straight line. I sometimes say really inappropriate things and I am a stunt nugget. I have always been interested in adrenaline sports. Like when I was a kid, my family and I went to Mexico. Uh, I was very privileged to go to Mexico when I was a kid. And we went to this like canal swimming facility. And I was swimming around with my dad. My sister was a lot more timid than I was. And there was this big, like, I don't know, maybe like 15 foot cliff, 20 foot cliff. And we like climbed the ladder up to the top. And at the top, there was all of these adults. And I think I was maybe like 13 at the time, 14 at the time. Um, and I was really small. Like they didn't think I'd make it to five feet when I was a kid. It's pretty stunted. And all of these people were looking around each other and they were like questioning whether or not they want to go off. And it was like men and girls. And I just like walked up to them. I was like, are you guys jumping? And they were like, no. And I was like, can I go? And they were like, sure. And then this little like, four foot something paperweight just launched off of the cliff and just freaking into the water, no hesitation. And my dad just walked up to them and was like, yeah, she doesn't have any fear. And then he went off after me. And that's just like who I've been my whole life. And I know that like skiing with the boys, they definitely have an aspect of that, like zero fear, willing to try all that kind of stuff. And um, I did get a lot of like kind of pushback from the girls for the way that I behave sometimes because I think I do have that hyperactive aspect to my personality. And I think it makes a lot of girls uncomfortable. Um, also judging me for my appearance. That's something I've struggled with my whole life. Um, you know, internalizing Western beauty standards and understanding that I, I didn't, especially when I was younger, fit that traditional, you know, pretty girl, like what we think of that. And as young women, we're taught that our looks are more important than anything else. And in skiing, you're also taught that, especially back in the day, I mean, they still do it now, but like our sexuality, femininity are the center of a lot of marketing campaigns and what you see in product offerings. It's like aesthetics are more important than technology. So um, there's a lot of reasons why I gravitated to being a boy. Like I saw femininity as weakness. Um, so I would only wear boys clothing. I only wanted to ride boy skis, uh, especially in skiing. And I don't know, I just, I had a hard time with other girls for sure. Uh, it's girls were never inclusive to me, but then once I found safe female friendships and I experienced the power of that, it was game changing. Like, yeah, I've experienced it my whole freaking life and I've unpacked it my whole life. And part of creating Boom Tang was that I never want another young girl to feel the way that I felt growing up. I 
don't want them to feel like they don't belong. And I want them to feel inspired and to see people that look like them and represent them in movies, in advertisements. I want them to have that ignition process where they're inspired to go out and push themselves. And it doesn't matter if you're the only chick on the mountain, hold that space and be fucking proud of it. That's what I want. That's what womb tang means to me. Nice. I think that Mexico cliff story is so funny. And my sister's going to laugh so much when she hears this, because when I was a kid and we also went to Mexico and we went to the spot that had the cliff jumping, I was the one person in my family that was too terrified to do it. And it took so much coaxing. I was at the top and they're like, just jump already. (laughs) And then I got older. And as I got into skiing, because I'm like the main skier in my family. My the rest of my family, they can ski or board, but it's something that they haven't done for years now. Like my sister wants to go over Christmas, so I'm excited about that. But they laugh because I've got into free ride and they're like, now you jump off cliffs and no one tells you to do it. You just do it for fun. But when you were a kid, we could not talk you into it. You were such a scaredy cat. <laughs> That's so funny. So I think the funny story, but yeah, yeah, in regards to like this question, I guess when I used to be in ski club with the university, they would tell me that when new girls came into the group, there's a couple girls that told me, wow, I was so intimidated of you. And then I got to know you and realized that you're really not that intimidating at all. But I, I find it interesting because I guess like I was that kind of skier girl in the group and so newcomers were embarrassed by or not embarrassed that's not the right word but intimidated by having that place already as like being the accepted girl that it's interesting that's how you're perceived by other women when really I felt like the vibes I was getting off was not that oh my god that's such a good point yeah yeah big time I think I had uh, somebody ask me about this the other day because that's something like we've wanted to do through Wombtang is create an inclusive space because a lot of girls feel like they don't belong if they're not skiing at a certain ability. So I think like something that we can all do to create a more inclusive culture where we don't feel that internalized misogyny against each other and we break down those norms is like making sure you let girls know that trying's fucking cool. Like, let them know that they're safe. It doesn't matter if you're the last one down the hill. It matters that you're trying, period. Like, that's hot girl shit. Everybody should be accepted at whatever level they're at. Like, I I actually had a really similar experience, Renee, with this one girl. Um, She actually came to buy skis from me at my dad's sample sale, atomic sample sale. And um, yeah, she, I don't know, I guess she was a big fan and... um, I saw her at Lake Louise shortly after that ripping around and I just messaged her on Instagram. I was like, yo, let's go for a lap. But that day was one of the days where like I was following Big Lou and his brother Eli and those two fucking shred. I love following them because they see all of these little like mogul gaps and side hits that I wouldn't typically see. And I drank a huge Red Bull. I had Meg the Stallion brapping in my earbuds and I was just ready to freaking send it. And after one lap, she left And I could tell she wasn't super comfortable, but I wasn't in a headspace to think about making an inclusive environment. And then it got back to me through other women that she was really disappointed because she didn't think that's who I was. Um, And she thought I was about inclusivity and X, Y, Z. And I realized that I could have done more in that moment to make her feel comfortable. And I sent her a message afterwards. But I think that that's something that we all need to work on individually is breaking down that we think we don't belong. And we also all need to work on creating more of an inclusive environment and actually being aware when somebody is uncomfortable. I think that's a really good way to shift ski culture. All right, you ask me the question now, I guess. Frick, I just uh. <laughs> talked my butt off. Um, you get enough ski time while working full time. Uh, well, here's the trick, you don't. <laughs> Okay. Okay. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) If that ain't the truth. (laughs) For real. Okay. So I have worked as a ski patroller. I skied 140 days that season. That's the most that you could probably ski in one year. 
because you're skiing literally like six days a week for November through May, basically. That's about as good as it gets in terms of like skiing every day. On the flip side, when I was going to school, I went to school full time for nursing. I had to work because everyone, humans need money. It's just the way it works. Skiing's expensive. <laughs> and I would work my first job at a ski shop on Saturdays from 10 a.m. And then I would take my lunch at the end of the day, leave at 5.30, drive to a wedding venue, and I would serve and bartend for the weddings from 6 p.m. until like 2 a.m., sometimes 2.30 in the morning. Then go to bed, sometimes in my car, <laughs> and wake up and I would have to work or I'd, I would go skiing the next day or like I would work a wedding shift and then I would wake up the next morning and have to coach because sometimes I would coach on on the Sundays so I arranged my classes I would have one day off so that one day midweek off was like my one ski ski day and then I had a full day of working like 16 hours in my feet and then I another free skiing day or coaching day depends on the week that was kind of how I did it during school and it seems like you're skiing a lot because social media but you're skiing as much as any weekend warrior skis I guess I skied about like 30 minimum days during school and like up to like 60 days a year just depending on on the season now as a nurse I've found that even though my schedule is a good work ski balance I end up finishing my shifts and having to just take a day to just chill and this is what I've learned in the last year is that my job is exhausting I work 12-hour shifts and I can't just hit my first day off and just go do stuff I need at least one of my days off to be at home and just chill and get myself ready for my week do groceries because if I don't do that I just crash and I burn and it is not pretty so Preach. work hard ski hard but I mean rest hard yeah rest hard and everyone's probably not skiing as much as you think they are <laughs> yeah man Instagram is such a lie if you want to talk about it like there's so many shots on my gram where it's like yo there's like a good patch here can you do one turn and it's like, sure. And then it looks like it was balls deep all, or should I say vagina deep? Probably. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, it is a genitals deep out there. Hits deep. Titties deep. There you go. Everybody's nipples got deep? nipples. Um, nipples are inclusive. I think. They are. Nipples deep. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, where it looks like it was really good, but oh baby, it's a lie. It is a lie. Unless you go out and all of your friends are content hoes and you're just banking shots of people shredding and doing awesome stuff. That was what I tried to do last year and it is way better than just one shot wonders. But um, working and playing hard, before I started going to university, I was a hardcore ski bum. I lived, I worked at a heli skiing company, Mike Wiggly Heli Skiing for two seasons. First season, I did my knee. Second season, I got um, a lot of days. I got like 20 days of heli skiing in. It was so rad. Then I moved to Tofino, tried surfing. I suck at it, but it was great. Then I moved to Fernie. And then after that, I ended up doing 10 back-to-back -back seasons between Canada, uh, New Zealand, and Japan. And when I was working abroad, I was usually working in ski shops because I have a lot of experience working in ski shops, boot fitting, selling hard goods, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I was also a professional musician on the side. So that helped me a lot with income. Um, but doing both of those things, like when you work for a ski shop, they prioritize ride time. So over those 10 ski seasons, my abilities progressed a lot. And I found it was really easy to, you know, not feel super burnt out. I was also a lot younger, so I could go get hammered and then go to work and ski and then play music and then like repeat. Now I'm almost 30 and like, oh my God, my liver cannot anymore. <laughs> but um when I decided to go to university, I'd go to New Zealand for the summer to ski, and then I'd come back here for the winter. And being in university and working as a professional is so much more mentally and emotionally taxing than being a ski bum. So learning how to balance working and skiing has been really difficult for me, and it's led to significant burnout periods. Um, especially this last year with the pandemic, it really dysregulated me. 
Um, and honestly, there's no like good answer. You have to, I, I read about this really cool term called energy banking and it's figuring out priorities, like what you need to do and setting routines so that you have energy to do the things you're passionate about, but you're also taking care of yourself because you know, I think there is a bit of like a die hard, go hard culture in the adrenaline sports industry and the outdoor sports industry, where it's almost seen as cool and accepted to push yourself on those suffer fests, even at the detriment of your own personal well-being. So I think that that is something that is currently changing with more education on mental health and like uh, different athletes speaking up. But it's all about personal balance. Everybody has different bandwidths for what they can do and what they can accomplish. And that is something that I am like very, very consciously looking at this season because I want to do my best and I want skiing to be for me. And yeah, there's no like easy answer to that. It's different for everybody. Like if you're a ski bum, you can ski a shit ton. If you're not, like the professional world and the real world is demanding. So true. There's also a theory, um, and people with chronic illness, are it helps them to describe how they feel to people who are like, I guess air quotes, normal, but have good health that don't have to deal with these issues. And it's called the spoon theory. And I think it could be like loosely applied to how you manage your energy with the energy banking as well. And basically how it works is that you are given a certain amount of spoons and how people explain spoon theory is you have your set amount of spoons and you every time you do a task you have to give a spoon so for some people a task can be making breakfast there goes a spoon okay now i shower there goes a spoon now i do this there goes a spoon, there goes a spoon, there goes a spoon. And then you realize that you're actually hardly through your day and you're out of spoons. But once you're out of spoons, you're out of spoons. And that's burnout. And I think that's where it becomes applicable to just mental health in general, is that you can only use as many spoons as you have. And if you are working Monday to Friday and your job is taxing in any way, you need to replenish those spoons before you can go out and get out on an epic or leave your house super early, go skiing all day, come home. Like you only have as much energy as you got <laughs> and you got to bank your spoons. If you're going to use your spoons. Hundy P. I remember the first yeah. time you told me that analogy and I was like, <laughs> my brain was like, Dium. cause that's, that's what it felt a lot like with my concussions as well. It was like, it was hard to explain to people that I couldn't do simple things that they could, especially if I did too much that day. Um, we actually have this chick named Talon. She is so freaking dope. She's doing her PhD in neuroscience. And we're going to have her on uh, later in November to talk about uh, concussions and mental health and the neuroscience behind it, which I think is going to be so dope. But uh, next question, Renee, your turn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, this is a good one, I think. How to respond to people who discredit female skiers with outrage from Courtenay. Yay. Courtenay. Courtenay. Man, this is a hard one. I have referenced my angry feminist stage so many times. I like when you start to learn about systemic inequalities and how they've made your life more difficult. It is so natural to get angry. And I just want to say that your feelings are 100% valid. And I don't think that you should have to express yourself any other way to be heard. And that's part of a problem with the system is that people who are actively oppressed or experience marginalization are expected to respond to those who are marginalizing us in a calm and educated fashion. Because the, those people sometimes think that they're the victims when we approach them with a lot of the things we've been experiencing and our feelings and facts on how this is harmful to us. So I just want to say that you shouldn't have to respond in any other way. But one thing that we've delineated through Wombtang and Wimcork and moving into the space and, you know, trying to actualize our purpose and our mission to make active change throughout every layer of the ski industry is that Sometimes we have to learn how to separate ourselves from our emotions and talk about things pragmatically and be conscious of the other person's feelings, um, which is a lot of emotional labor. And you do not have to do that by any means. You also don't owe anybody who's discrediting 
you're skiing, the time to educate them on it. There's a block button, honey. Use it. Fuck them. And you can also block them in real life by skiing away from them a lot faster. <laughs> I did that once. <laughs> I was at the top of, actually, yeah, when, one time I did it was uh, we were on CPR Ridge in Kicking Horse, and there was like this fun little shoot. I love Kicking Horse. I got a RCR Super Pass this year, and I'm fucking pumped. But on another note, um, we, yeah, we were on the top of this ridge and there was like this small little mandatory and there's this random dude that was skiing with my friends. I didn't know him. He doesn't know me. And I was like with another girl and he was like, looked at me and he was like, yeah, I think there's like an easier way over there. And I just looked at him. I didn't say anything. And I just like went off the mandatory and pretty much straight lined it to the bottom of the goddamn chute and then met them at the like chairlift again and he got to the bottom of the chairlift and he was like yo you fucking shred and i just looked at him and i was like i know and i skied away <laughs> that's a block in real life fuck you don't make any assumptions about who i am or my ability or belittle me on the ski hill honey mm. big stick energy sorry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's hard. Like, I fully, I have fully gone keyboard warrior on people in the past. I, I will raise my hand. I will admit that. I I have done it because Same. I've been angry. But I think that's something that we've learned along the way, too, is how to approach these issues a little bit more constructively and to actually be able to get people around to your way of thinking and making them realize why it is the way it is. I think that comes from the fact that we've done a lot of research as well. We've done a lot of research on why these are issues and why people might think that way. And you're not going to change everybody's mind. But I think we can both agree on the fact that what we are ultimately trying to do here in a bigger picture is to shift the way that most people think so that we'll get to a point where when someone says that ridiculous thing, they're the ones that will be ostracized, not you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And one thing that we've noticed, like, you know, my, my dad is a really great example. He grew up during a different time. And when you look at how we, how we, uh, we're, we're products of our experiences and also popular culture. So marketing has a really big influence on that. There's certain rhetoric, like visual imagery that communicates specific things. Um, there's also like narratives, language is very specific and it creates associations in our heads around women's capabilities and their belonging in the industry. And you know, since the 1700s, the outdoor industry is traditionally masculine. It is very elitist. There's socioeconomic barriers. Um, there are, it's like cis heteronormative, like it's kind of like all of those taboo words that are going around in intersectional communities. It's like, it's not an inclusive space. And, um, you know, like my dad grew up in that culture. He's an old school ski racer. He was on the Alberta downhill team. There's not a lot of diversity and he's not a bad person. And he doesn't realize that some of the things he remembers from when he was a kid and like would come out in a conversation were harmful. And when I was younger, and especially when I first got into feminism, I was really freaking angry and I would pop off at him. But when I would try to educate him on it, I was like, you know, you're centralizing yourself as the victim and you're not with this. I was like, this situation does not really affect you. So it's interesting that you have so many feelings invested in it. And when I said that, it would actually make him more mad and it would make other people more mad if I said it to them as well. Um, so as I learned more how to deal with these things, like I learned that validating their feelings helps understanding that a lot of this stuff is nuanced and change takes time. And just tell them that you're appreciative that they're listening to your opinions and hearing your experiences. And, you know, sometimes that um, devil's advocate is not always necessary. And if I need to talk about something difficult with someone, I usually preface with, I would really appreciate it if you could sit back and maybe try not to react and just listen. And sometimes when they hear that, it, it helps a lot, like even in regards to mental health or difficult conversations. But, you know, over the last couple of years, since I've been having these conversations with my dad, um, 
it's been really cool to watch his perspectives change. And even when Womb Tang started, he was, you know, trying to give me feedback from people in his community who are a little bit older, part of that same demographic. And I was like, you know what, dad, like, this is a space that I don't need your feedback on. Like, I just don't like, I appreciate it, but I don't need to hear what they think of it because this space is not for them. And he was like, okay, you know what, if it turns into something, I'll bite my tongue. And today it has turned into something. And the conversation that we had on the phone last week was my dad agreeing with me on all of the things I had to say about how BIPOC people are disproportionately affected by the system in the ski industry and the steps that businesses can take to be more inclusive. And we had such a cool conversation and it led to me telling my dad that I was super, super proud of him, but it took a lot of time to get there. And it took a lot of like work on my end to learn how to approach those situations. And also just to remember that, you know, like we're people, everybody has their own experiences <clears throat> and their experiences are valid. And a lot of people don't mean to be inherently sexist or racist. It's actually a product of our society because a lot of our associations in our brain are created through things that we are exposed to, whether it's through the media, uh, conversations with people validate a lot of those associations. Like the more that you're in contact with those ideas and concepts, the more myelin is wrapped around those neuronal connections in your brain and the easier it is for you to access them. So when you're approached with that stimuli, they pop up. And when you understand it from a scientific perspective, you understand that creating those new associations in a calm way in those conversations actually makes a lot of sense. And I know I hit a lot there from like family to neuroscience to freaking marketing, but that's honestly the way that I've come to look at these things and seeing the pattern of how they, you know, they pop up in our culture. So people can change. It's up to you how you want to deal with those situations, but you don't also owe that person anything. So it's your own personal boundary that matters the most. All right. Next question. Shit. It's my turn, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Um, oh God, I just had a really good one. Ooh, what can men do to be more supportive and accepting and encouraging? Dang, lot there. Um, during skiing, this is from it's Norris, not Chuck. We appreciate you. It's Norris, not Chuck. And that's an easy one to transition into after that. And this isn't just skiing. This is in all typically masculine spaces. Man, I was going to ask you like almost the same question next. This is one I had picked out. I'm just going to say it because it's so similar. Ryan Dunphy, 85, best examples of white dudes getting their shit together and being real allies. <laughs> My dudes. All right. These so are topic. <laughs> some womb tang bros, hard out. We respect you wanting to like understand this. That is such an important question that honestly, every guy could ask chicks that they know. Yeah. Okay. So my gold star for the last week-ish is going out to Cody Townsend. <laughs> uh, so with the whole Jay Skis thing, um, Cody... When he heard about it, he was like, oh, thank you so much for kind of putting this on my radar. He was like, I seen, I've seen this post getting shared multiple times today, and I didn't really think anything of it or make that association. But he was like, now that you've explained it, he's like, this is bad. And he went and he commented on that post. And having him as someone who does hold a pretty respected place in the ski industry as a professional skier. There's a lot of people that follow him and, and that makes his comment sit at the very, very top. People are going to see it. And I think that was a really big moment in that whole conversation was him stepping up to the plate and saying, no, this is not okay. And you guys really need to rethink this. Um, so just having our back, that was a real game changer in that whole Jay Skis dispute was having him jump in there. And uh, I think that's like one way that guys can really be allies is when you see these posts and these discussions and being able to weigh in and be like, you know, I, I think this is right. Like we need to support the women here and, and give them a voice as well and, and back our voice and support that. And, 
recognize that we have those experiences and we do have value and we are athletes. Uh, so that's one really good example from the most recent history of ski media. <laughs> so gold star for Cody Townsend. Yeah, on that one. Certified legend. Yeah. Okie dokie. Um, <laughs> Shout out my dude. Um, yeah, just in general, I would say. And then another one is I I had someone who messaged me recently and said, hey, can I give you some feedback on Big Stick Energy podcast? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And and he did. And he was like, I hope that I don't seem like I'm mansplaining. And I was like, dude, you asked me if I wanted the feedback before you did it. That's the exact opposite of mansplaining because you allowed me to consent whether or not I wanted to hear what you want to say. And yeah, also another hot tip, hot tip, if they want your advice before you get it. That just I mean, comes down to consent. Consent is hot. I mean, like, that can go the other way too, where I, I probably give my opinion where it's not wanted as well. But yeah, I would say I, that's another thing that happened recently where I was like, thank you. Like, I really appreciate that you asked me if I wanted to know what you thought before you just said it. A hundred percent. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes as well, but um, like that's something that I try to do because I realize that I respond to other people's, uh, you know, when they open up about their experiences to me or like their mental health, I try to relate to it through my experiences. And I've realized that sometimes that's not the right thing to do. So I will listen and then I'll ask if I can give advice or if they want advice. And I think that overlaps into a lot of different contexts, especially when there's a power dynamic in a stratified society, um, like the you know patriarchy where men are inherently privileged above women, that asking consent and empowering the woman in that moment to make her own choices without offering unsolicited advice that positions the woman as less than like you are superior is awesome. And that's a place I actually experienced this a lot was in skateboarding when I was learning last year. I learned at 26 years old and I got so hyper-focused on it. I learned how to do an ollie in less than 24 hours. I think I practiced it over a hundred times. Like my thighs were freaking shaking the next day just from like pumping that hard. And I ripped a hole in my shoe from trying to get it. But when I got it, I posted it online and I immediately had the, all these dudes that I don't follow sending me DMs on what I could do better. And they were like, hey, babe, like just very like degrading, sexualized language. And I was like, I don't even let my boyfriend call me, babe, like mm, not down. And it, it came across that they were trying to like create value somehow or like slip into my DMs. They're like, oh, I know more about her than this. So like, I'm going to do this. And like, that wasn't cute that was not a good look. And I did not reply. And then funny enough, like one of those dudes ended up unfollowing me because he was so insulted that I didn't take his advice when I didn't owe him anything. And then like four months later, followed me again. I don't know how I noticed that, but I thought it was really funny. <laughs> um, so when, yeah, asking for consent is freaking huge. I remember I started dating this guy actually, and he knew how I felt about that because we would go skateboarding together. And I asked him, I was like, do you have any advice on how I could get like a pop shove it down? And he was like, yeah, like, are you sure you do you want my advice? Like, is that OK? And I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm asking you for it. And he was like, oh, OK, sure. And I was like, you know, you could just ask me next time if you notice something and I'll let you know if I do or if I don't. Like consent is cute. Um, and that, that meant a lot to me that he just picked up on it. So definitely ask. We actually have a term for those boys. They're called chads. I'm sorry if your name is Chad. It's nothing against you, Chad, but it's just unsolicited advice from boys because they think it's hot and honey. It is not. It is not. Um, no. relative would... Oh. Oh, sorry. I'm interrupting you. It's okay. It's okay. We're fine. I just I had... had one more point as well. Me too. Let me okay. make one more point. You do your um, point and I do my point. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, one other thing is that if men could actively take on the responsibility to educate themselves on the topics of misogyny, uh, intersectional feminism, the patriarchy, and they can have those resources to educate other men, it would take a lot of labor off of us. Because us having to step in and do that all of the time 
is extremely freaking draining. And yes, we are speaking to our experiences, but a lot of the time these conversations happen not directly to our faces. And if somebody doesn't speak up in those contexts, uh, scientifically speaking, somebody in that group where the conversation is happening might not might already have some negative associations towards marginalized groups in their heads. And if nobody speaks up to correct those points in a conversation, those associations in their head get reinforced. So having buddies, somebody speak up within the male community against those conversations when they're happening means that you are disrupting that associative process and you're creating new connections. It also means that you can stand up for your female friends as an ally. And that's part of what it means to be an ally. Like I am actively trying to learn more about uh, the trans experience and the non-binary experience in the outdoor industry, because I realized it's a space that I don't know enough about and I wanna be able to actively uh, be an ally to those groups. So I am taking it on myself to research it more and understand it more. And I'm actually taking a class about gender and popular culture where we're learning about the non-binary LGBTQIAS plus, I think I got that right, um, you know, uh, systemic oppression in society so that I can be a better ally. So taking that initiative is freaking huge and it would mean a lot to us. Yeah, I think I also thought of one more thing and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so two things. One is that I think one of the more formative times of my ski career, if you could call it a career, but I had done my first free ride comp and I remember meeting all these folks at the free ride comp. And after that, I was skiing with some of these guys that you would consider like maybe semi-pro or pro, however you just, define that and I remember thinking to myself wow like why do these guys even want to ski with me I'm not that good and just getting into this space and I don't go that big yet and that was kind of my internal voice talking to uh, to myself about who I deserve to ski with but on the flip side skiing with those guys chasing them around i improved so much and i got to ski zones that i wouldn't have skied before so them inviting me along and being okay with me kind of tagging along never being too far behind but like just having to wait 30 seconds for me at the chair every time and them devoting themselves to my progression in that way it makes a big difference it really does and so my last point on this is also being cognizant of the difference between being an ally and being a savior. And yes. Yeah. So oh, I think sorry, that, that was great. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that I learned myself. Um, I learned it myself with a talk I was listening to from, uh, it was a Instagram live and the account is called Distinctive Voices, and she does a lot of teaching in the DEI space uh, as a Black woman on, you know, how diversity works and just like teaching people about, like for me about this this talk. I learned the difference between ally and savior, and one of the things that really stuck with me in terms of the difference between those two is the movie The Blind Side. I think a lot of people have probably seen this movie and. I thought that it was such a great movie and such a good storyline. And she said to me, actually, this is kind of an insulting movie for a lot of black folks because it's about the white person coming in and saving them and, and helping them out and, and really like getting praised for saving this black man. And I had never really seen the movie in that way because I'm just a white person. I thought, oh, this is such a heartwarming movie. And I think that was when like ally versus savior really did hit in for me is it's not about saving women. It's about being alongside them. And that's, yeah, that's like basically the simplest way to say the difference between an ally and a, a savior is ally. You walk beside someone and a savior you're looking to, to save them. So yeah. I guess that just was cognizant of that. I don't know if that was a good enough explanation. <laughs> no, that was great. I can give okay. even just like a very rudimental example of that. Um, when I was filming a commercial, I took off my ski because we had to hike back up to do the line again. And I accidentally dropped it. 
and it went halfway down the mountain and I was walking down to get it. I was fully capable. Um, one of the ski patrollers that was assisting us went and got it out of the tree, which I appreciated. This was very embarrassing in front of a professional crew. And then when I was walking back up, I was getting there, but then one of the other athletes at the top came down and like grabbed my skis without asking me if I needed help and carried them up the rest of the pitch for me. And I actually really didn't like that. It was like, I can get there myself. It made me feel weak. It made me feel like I was holding everybody back. And rather than doing that, what he thought was helpful, just being patient and waiting for me to get my little legs up to the top of that slope after my mistake would have made me feel more empowered. So that was a good example of not saving me, but rather being patient with me and supportive and appreciating my growth and experience as an individual. Um, yeah, I think that allyship is really important. If we were to give them a checklist, Renee, what would our checklist be? So the first thing with Cody, what did you say? Oh, it's just um, basically that your voice adding to our voices is a lot more powerful than people think that it is because it's like you said with being disruptive. And I, I think it comes back to you earlier, we were saying, if we want to shift this whole culture, we'll get to a place where someone saying that douchey comment, it's going to reflect worse on them to say it than it is on you to be speaking out on what you feel is right because yes. you are speaking from a place of equality. Yes. So we've got um, like amplifying our voices and standing in our corner, whether that's online or offline, asking for consent before you offer advice, um, being an ally, not a savior. So, you know, fighting the fight alongside us, but not trying to save us. And then what was the last thing that I said? Oh, research, do your research. And we're hoping that we can come up with some really good resources through Wumtang, but there are so many online resources that you can use to educate yourself on these issues. And it's not only relative to the ski industry. The reason these problems exist in the ski industry is because we currently live in a patriarchal society with systems that actively oppress and marginalize specific groups. And you can learn a lot on that. And you should be looking at it from an intersectional approach. So intersectional means that you recognize that these systems disproportionately affect specific groups more. So like, for example, Renee and I are white women in the ski industry. We are part of a underrepresented and marginalized group uh, as women, but these systems disproportionately affect BIPOC, disabled folk, um, and LGBTQIAS plus people and others more than they affect us. So we do recognize that. And that's something that we are trying to approach through all aspects of our brand. Like, um, you know, one thing we wanted to bring up is that we've had some people come to us about our name because Wumtang is a play on words of Wu-Tang and uh, Wu-Tang Clan, the, you know, the iconic freaking hit pop group, Wu-Tang Clan. But we do recognize that there is a level of uh, cultural appropriation there. So what we have done is make sure that we, we've consulted with the BIPOC community uh, to make sure that we are making decisions that will help uh, get resources, like actionable, you know, everything to help them and recognizing that they are disproportionately affected by all this stuff more than we are. It's the same thing with how womb is not inclusive of, uh, you know, like not all women have wombs or big stick energy is not inclusive to trans men. So we're really trying to look at a lot of those things and understanding the nuances of uh, the rhetoric behind some of the language and branding that we have, and then consulting to make sure that we're making an actionable difference and including those voices in our decisions. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there and a lot that we are aware of and working on. And we would really appreciate it if men took the initiative as well. All right. Well, I think that's our questions round. <laughs> we got so many freaking questions, so we might have to do another one of these. But that was actually really fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Anytime, anytime we... Well, yeah, maybe we'll do another one. Maybe we will. Yeah. Let us know what you guys think about this episode because it's really different to our usual, you know, 
standard of interviewing people. But if you guys liked it and you guys want to learn more about this kind of stuff, then maybe we could structure a whole episode on allyship and looking at some of like the scientific marketing and nuanced concepts that we talked about um, as well. And I think it would be so funny to do another episode on dating and we could get a lot of your experiences on the show to talk about because damn, ski dating is weird. But yeah, let us know what you guys think. We enjoyed this. If you enjoyed us, hot dang, we'll make it another thing on the internet. Yeah. Awesome. Leave a review. I think we forget to say this all the time, but leave us a review. And yeah, out of podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, at out of podcasts is the Instagram. I think so. Yeah. Out of bounds. Out, out, of, of, out of bounds collective is the new word for it. We're collective because there's yeah. so many hosts now, so many shows. Like almost every day of the week, you can listen to voice. <laughs> and also, you know, relative to what I said about cultural appropriation and us trying to create an inclusive space, we're going to make mistakes. Um, there's things that we know we cannot actively speak on, like the BIPOC or LGBTQIS plus experience. And um, if there's anything that we can do better or any allies that want to reach out and educate us on those concepts, we appreciate the feedback. We really do. Uh, and that's part of the reviews too. be honest. Be honest with us. Honesty is cool. And we love feedback. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. this is another episode of Big Stick Energy. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>